And as we begin to look at, at part nine, walking the blood path, uh, I got that there's another time I may have to jump out and just do a separate podcast for the sake of the younger crowd. Uh, I talked with Audrey about it yesterday and and you know she's right there on the the boundary of yeah maybe I'm okay with that maybe I'm not you know dad that's an awkward conversation and <clears throat> praise God for awkward conversations with your dad if you haven't had those yet you're missing out because it's fun to watch dad squirm just as much as it's fun for dad to watch the kids squirm so we had a good awkward conversation about stuff that's coming up in Abram's life I didn't give away the sermon today because I wanted Audrey to pay attention. So we're going to jump in right where we left off. And Audrey probably could come give the quick review. I was really, really impressed with she knew exactly where the previous story ended. The, the previous story ended with Abram taking care of his friends that went to war with him. And the, the part that was still a little fuzzy, one of the main parts that sometimes gets overlooked is Abram gave all of the spoils of war that didn't go to his buddies back to the king of Sodom and said, you're not ever going to be able to say you made me rich. And we, we get that. And we understand that Abram is a very wealthy and establishing himself as an economic power in the regions kind of man and that's where we jump in in verse 15 it says after these things the word of the lord came to abram in a vision fear not abram i am your shield your reward will be very great makes me wonder if maybe abram was struggling with a little bit of doubt about whether he should have gave all that stuff away or not we don't know because we always try and put people in scripture on a pedestal and make them less than human and I'm going to humanize Abram for you today. And, and if that makes you uncomfortable, well, read Scripture for what it says. God had to come to him and say this for a reason. Don't be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield and your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And I'm telling you, if you want to have fun, you just say that. Eleazar of Damascus. Get a little wine to your voice. I, I wish that Titus could pronounce Eleazar. I would have him come and do it in his whiny, squeaky voice. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will become my heir. A member. Not a family member, just a member. Now, that tells you Abram's wealthy because he has people living in his house that are not family. He has members. That's like a club or an organization. <laughs> Can you imagine having that many people that you're in charge of that I'm going to have to hand it off to a member? Oh. Now, we have to go back and think a couple weeks ago. We have to pay attention. It ought to start sparking you when you see in Scripture Abram said, and it actually starts out, but Abram said. So Abram's arguing with God. And then it says, and Abram said, which means this is a separate conversation. So there was a pause. So Abram, 
you know, we go back to it. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And then there's a pause, like Abram's waiting for a response. You're not going to talk to me? You're not going to tell me what's going on here? He didn't get a response, so he says, well, maybe I'll rephrase this. And behold, you've given me no offspring. Abram's getting pretty feisty with God. I mean, the tone of this conversation is not humility at all. This is a guy that is arguing with God. And God doesn't answer him right away. And Abram gets frustrated about it. Have you ever been frustrated with God? That, that would be my first question. And, and I want you to be real with yourself because you will not get the fullness of a relationship with God if you've never been frustrated with Him. Because when you're frustrated, you have to come to a choice of you're going to dig in and dig into the relationship or you're going to walk away. And we're living in a world full of people that have bought into the idea if they get frustrated with God and they struggle with God and they struggle with their faith that they should probably just walk away and find something easier. We, we've created a culture within Christianity that, that says it's not okay to ask questions. If you ask questions, you're a doubter. I want you to pay attention. This is the father of many nations is frustrated with God Almighty. The patriarch of patriarchs is having a very disgruntled conversation with the creator of the universe and God never, never gets angry with him about it. He never smites him. He never says God was, ang the anger of the Lord was kindled against Abram for this. It never says that. It never even says God gave him a good old fashioned eye roll. Man, I wish it would, because I bet God rolls his eyes at me a lot. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Uh, you can phrase that. And sometime later, God got back to him. You ever just paused in the middle of an argument with your spouse to just let it, let the room settle a little bit? Imagine, you know, the gift of silence sometimes is the best answer. Sometimes it's just making room for her to really rear back and throw that punch. But the Lord gave silence and then he replies, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside. I, I don't know exactly how that looked. I have questions about that. Did God just grab him, pick him up and move him outside like he brought and set Adam and Eve in the garden? You know what? That would get me shaking and paying attention in a hurry if God just picked me up and moved me. Happens in the New Testament. Philip was translated. Okay, it can happen still. If it happens to you, you know, don't tell me about it because I'll probably think you're weird. But he brought him outside and said, look towards heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. The, this is where the author of Hebrews jumped in and, and made sure that we get to hear that again in the New Testament, that God counted Abraham believing in him as righteousness. But I want you to understand, that's happening in the middle of an argument. 
it's pretty one-sided because when you argue with God, who do you think is really wrong in that argument? There's one way that's going to go and it's God's way or you're just going to be wrong. This man will not be your heir. Your very own son will be. And then he goes on to tell him that God reminds him of the covenant he'd made with him. Hey, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make your descendants number the... You know, I've already told you about the dirt. I guess that wasn't good enough for you. So I'm going to take you out, let you look into the vast emptiness of space that I filled with stars that you can't begin to count. And I'm going to tell you that that is your legacy. You're going to have nations. It's about to get, it's going to get changed to nations here in a little bit because Abraham's going to mess it up. Abram believed him. It was counted as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. God's still reminding him, hey, don't you remember who I am? But he said, but he said, man, Abraham, I mean, really? God is speaking to you. And, and in our, our modern time thinking, we think, man, this dude, the, this guy, you know, the nerve of him. Because, but he said, Oh Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? You keep saying this stuff, but how am I to know it? How am I to know it? Abraham is reminded over and over by God that God has a plan. But Abraham, Abraham wants something more. He wants a binding contract. You ever have that? Man, that, that sounds like a pretty good deal, but can we get that in writing? Can we get that in a contract? Can you imagine the nerve of this guy to ask God for a contract? And God said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, and a ram three years old, and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. I love that. He just tells him what to get. He doesn't tell him what to do with them. Because the next part tells us exactly what Abram does with them. And he brought them all, he brought him all these, cut them in half and laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. Abraham knew exactly what these animals represented. It was a cultural thing. He didn't have to ask God what he meant by it at all. As soon as God said, bring me this, and he started listing the animals, Abram said, I know what that is. This is going to be a blood path covenant. He rushes out to get the stuff. This is a blood path covenant. This was traditionally a betrothal covenant. Okay, so he cuts the animals in half and arranges them without being told to do so. The, to, to drive this home a little bit, a betrothal covenant was a marriage proposal in those days where a young man would, would come and he would ask, or his parents would arrange it, where they would ask the father of the bride-to-be for permission to marry the daughter. And if the family agreed to this, it was usually set up as a blood path covenant where they took these animals and they cut them in half 
and they would lay them on opposite sides so their blood would run and make a trail in the middle. And the groom-to-be or the lesser party, if you want legal speak, would put on a white robe and he would walk that blood path as that blood splashed up onto that robe to represent if I do anything to hurt your daughter, may this same thing happen to me. Or if I break the covenant with your daughter, may the same thing be happening to me. May I be torn in half and my blood shed. Then the father, the greater party, would put on a white robe and he would walk the path to say very simply, if I don't provide you with a virgin pure daughter, then I have broken this covenant and may the same thing happen to me. May my blood be shed as I am rent in half. Lights are going on. This is a different thing than I've ever heard it taught. I'd never heard this part of it. I'd never heard what a blood path covenant was till I started researching it. And I look at it and I think, man, Abram knew exactly what it was. But Abram, to, to borrow modern quote, has done messed up, Aaron. Because Abram's going to be out there a while after he cuts these in half because birds of prey come down on the carcasses. And Abram has to go drive them away. And as the sun goes down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Deep sleep is the same words in Hebrew from when Adam fell into a deep sleep and God took his rib to create Eve. But this is going to be one of the first times that we see something that, that makes Abram a little more human to me and less less up on this giant tear because he fell into a great darkness and that can be translated literally depression because Abram's getting to the end of the day and he realizes that yeah I got all this set up but in this covenant relationship I'm the lesser party and I've got to walk down that path first. And Abram knows that there is no way he can uphold the covenant to the standard of God's righteousness. He knows the moment he sets foot on that path, he's a dead man. Because there's no way. I, I cannot be the father of many nations. My wife is barren. For me to step into that path, I have sentenced myself to death. Would that not depress you? Because you're getting exactly what you asked for. God has set up an opportunity for us to enter into a covenant. But the reality hits that there is no physical way I can fulfill this covenant. Put yourself in Abraham's shoes or Abram's shoes at this point. I'd be depressed too. I'd be looking at that blood path and I would be terrified. Thankfully, God put him into this deep sleep because God comes to him and the Lord said, know for certain 
that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not their own. Another term there is pilgrims. Another term is vagabonds. And will be servants there. They will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. I can't see how that really helps Abraham's mood. And, and I'm, I'm looking at it, I'm like, God, you know, th- this doesn't make sense to me as a Westerner. Why God would stop right here to tell Abram a big part of the plan. And, and it's something we'll get more into later when we talk about uh, betrothals and weddings. And it's going to radically change the way we look at Exodus. But don't want to give too many spoilers. But he says, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. God continues to lay out the plan for him that your descendants are going to leave this place. They're going to go into captivity. They're going to be servants, which was a nice way of saying slaves. They're going to be slaves, and then I'm going to deliver them. And they'll come back here, but that's not the life for you. You're going to live in this land till good old age, and then you're going to be buried in peace. And he said, there, there's another group of people that I have to raise up before your people will be ready to take the land. God speaks to Abraham in the midst of his depression to remind him very simply, I have a plan. Trust the story even in your dark times. The, the, the struggle that we run into today is that we live in very dark times. And, and we go through hard things in this life. But just like Abram, we're called to trust God. And, and God's going to take it a step further. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces or walked the blood path. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, to the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Catamanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites, and all those other parasites. Sometimes we get so caught up and locked in the ites that we missed out on something very important. There was a smoking fire pot, and there was a flaming torch. How many entities is that? Math people in the room. Jovi, how many fingers am I holding up? Two. Okay. There's something very significant here. Smoke and fire are each a representative of God's presence. They will make an appearance again in the Exodus story. There will be a cloud of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. They're going to make an appearance 400 years later. That gives me goosebumps. But God is passing through the blood path twice God the greater party 
took on the responsibility of the lesser party and walked the blood path. He made the covenant on behalf of Abraham. Because God said, Abram, when you fall short, I'm going to cover your shortfall. And I'm willing to back that up and to pay for it in my own blood. That'll preach on Easter. That I love you enough that I'm going to enter into this covenant and back it up with my blood. I'm going to take your responsibility and back it with my blood. I've never looked at the old covenant that way before. That God was speaking the same terms of the new covenant to Abram. He said, I love you this much. See, we live under the new covenant where Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And just like the old covenant, he invites us to walk the blood path where he washes us whiter than snow in his blood. And he makes an agreement with us that as, as the bridegroom, He's gone back to his father, to his father's house to prepare a place for us. And he promised us in his own blood that he would come back and take us to be united with him forever. Two covenants with the same story that God wants you. That's all he wants. He wants you. He wants, in Abraham's case, he was going to father many nations. In our case, he wants to build a kingdom that will last for all eternity. But we have to be willing to walk the blood path. And I know it sounds horribly creepy in a Western idea, but, but when you think about it for what it meant, it was a... It was a pledge or a betrothal to be faithful to a coming bridegroom. And he already paid the price with his own blood to break the old covenant and to make the new. What a beautiful picture as we're heading into the Easter season that God loves us. And you know what? is really comforting to me is that even after this covenant was made, almost immediately after, Abraham screws it up. Abraham, Abraham's just like us. How many times do we have a great time of worship and then maybe even on the way to the car, we mess it up. <laughs> or Monday morning hits and we mess it up. I want you to understand that God has made room for us when we mess it up just to come back. When you fall short, I'll cover your shortfall. 
Can you think of a, a more loving picture of God? Because it's the same message in the New Testament that I'm covering your shortfall. Or I'm covering where you missed the mark, which is the original definition of what sin is. Sin is an archery term, meaning you missed the mark. For all have sinned, we've missed the mark and fall short of the glory of God. Now, it bears repeating one more time that, that God is going to take Abraham's family into Egypt and delivering them out of Egypt is not going to be the hard part. It's getting Egypt out of them. And that is a, a very, very early spoiler to the Exodus series. Getting them out of Egypt is not the hard part. It's getting Egypt out of them. Why would I end a, a message about a blood path covenant with that? Because I'll tell you why you struggle. I'll tell you why I struggle. It's not because salvation was hard. Salvation is easy. But it's dealing with the the pressures of this life, the, the sin nature of this life, the Egypt of our life that makes it hard for us to stay in the covenant, makes it hard for us to uphold our part. And God understood that. And God will take us to places in our life like He takes the Israelites. When He takes them wandering through the desert, it wasn't because it was such a long trip to the promised land. And it's, it's not because it's a long trip to heaven once you know Jesus. It's God helping refine Egypt out of us. Heavenly Father, thank you for today.